step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. It's time for Lickin' On Lending. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Lickin' On Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. Now here's your host of Lickin' On Lending, David Lickin'. Let's begin. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. It's Monday, January 11th, 2021. I hope your new year is off to a great start. This podcast is created by mortgage professionals and is for mortgage professionals. And we're so grateful to have you as our listener. Our commitment is to bring you timely information in an audio format that you can listen to anytime and anywhere. In our hot topic segment today, we've got Dan Putney here with me. Dan is vice president of sales. He's also a managing director with the financial and we're going to be talking about a recent survey Finastra did. They surveyed 301 consumers and 34 financial institutions. We're going to share the results of that survey. And the purpose of this is to share with you some insights that Finastra picked up that you might want to use as you prepare for the new year. It could be very interesting. Also, be sure to check out last week's podcast where we had Dr. Michael Frantoni on from the NBA. He is the chief economist at the NBA and uh, some great insights. So this whole month of January, we're putting together a series of podcasts that are really going to be helpful to you as you get ready to plan for the new year. So last week, Dr. Michael Fratantoni, this week, Dan Putney. We've got a number of other guests lined up that are going to be very, very exciting, including Doug Duncan, Chief Economist for Fannie Mae. Very excited about our lineup for the month of January. We want to say a special thank you to Industry Syndicate. Go check out all the podcasts on industrysyndicate.com as well as Mortgage Media. We want to also say a special thank you to our sponsors, the Mortgage Bankers Association of America. Check out last week's podcast with Michael Fratantoni. And then again, this week, we've got Finastra and Putney joining us. And we have Lenders One. Say a special thank you to them. Justin Demolio gave a great podcast back in June. We're going to have him on again in the first quarter of 2021. Also, the Mortgage Collaborative. Tom Gallucci was on on December 7th. That was a really interesting interview. Check that one out. Also, the Community Mortgage Lenders of America. Michael Jones was on on September 21st. Be sure to go back and listen to that podcast. Also, we have Intercom, which provides automation, outsourcing, and compliance solutions to the mortgage industry. Check out the interview we did with Linda Bomar on August 31st, 2020. Also, special thank you to Josh Friend, who is a sponsor he owns Incelerate, which helps lenders close more loans by engaging more effectively with borrowers, prospects, and past customers. Go back and listen to the interview back on August 17th of last year. Also, we have Celebrity Home Loans. Also, we have Mobility RE and Modex. Now, they operate in the same space and that both companies help you recruit top loan officers, but they actually complement each other and encourage you to check out on our sponsor page both of these companies and learn more about them. Pick the one that works best for you or do what some of our clients do and that is retain both of them. Also, we have VendorSurf, Vidyard and also a special thank you to our regulars, Alice, Allen, and Matt. Let's get over to Rob Van Rapphorst with this week's Mortgage Minute. Hi, 
I'm Rob Van Rapports. Welcome to the Mortgage Minute and the latest news from the Mortgage Bankers Association. In late December, FHFA confirmed to MBA that it would not extend the GSE's policy flexibility, allowing them to purchase qualified loans that are in forbearance. The December 21, 2020 expiration of this policy, which was not formally announced, eliminates the ability of the GSEs to purchase loans that enter forbearance after closing but prior to delivery. MBA will continue to advocate for FHFA to reinstate this policy and permit the GSEs to purchase qualified loans that are in forbearance to ensure smooth market functioning for the duration of the ongoing pandemic. Also, on Tuesday, FHFA released the final 2021 underserved markets plans for the GSEs under the Duty to Serve program. While these plans typically cover three-year periods, FHFA is extending the 2018 to 2020 cycle through 2021, given the economic and financial uncertainty attributable to the COVID-19 pandemic. That's it for now. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Rob. Great report. Appreciate our relationship with the NBA. While you're there, check out the Mortgage Action Alliance app. Get signed up for that. Make sure your voice is heard on the Hill. NBA does such a good job of representing our industry. Let's get over to Les Parker with this week's TM Spotlight and his macro view of the markets. Les? Rick Rolling? Bear Rolling? TM Spotlight Soundbite is brought to you by PowerSeller, making hedging easy. Give trend up. Let yields down. After the reflation trade sputtered over the last few months, has it arrived? Notice how market-based inflation expectations keep climbing. At some point, the Fed will intervene in the new bear market to avoid choking off the recovery. But given the volume and new Treasury issuance to fund expected stimulus, mortgages become the loser. The Fed feels the purchase market is healthy enough to survive without heavy support and does not want to fuel a housing bubble. Let's hope the Fed does not turn around and hurt you. These views are my own. Want more? Go to tmspotlight.com. Thank you, Les. Be sure to go to tmspotlight.com to subscribe to Les's free newsletter. Or if you put in the word power, you get the paid version. Be sure to check it out. And now it's time for the mortgage rate update. What's going on in interest rates? Matt Graham is here with us, founder and CEO of MBS Live. And he has this week's market update. Matt? This is Matt Graham with the MBS Live market update. After nearly two months of calm weeks, last week definitely wasn't calm. Things started out innocently enough with Monday and most of Tuesday trading in a fairly flat range, both for Treasuries and MBS. But we were never really worried about Monday and Tuesday until Tuesday evening when we were very much interested in the Georgia Senate election. And by we, I mean the bond market. And why is the bond market interested in the Georgia Senate election? Here is a quick refresher. There's nothing political here. There's no opinions or value judgments about either side of the aisle. The only consideration for bond markets is whether or not a single political party has control of the House, Senate, and presidency. And it's precisely that unified control that was at stake with the Georgia Senate election, because if both seats flipped from red to blue, 
That would give Democrats and Republicans each 50 seats in the Senate, with Vice President-elect Harris casting the tie-breaking vote at Democratic control. This makes it easier for COVID-related stimulus and other legislation to get passed, and that has implications in the near term anyway for increased Treasury issuance. In other words, if we're going to increase stimulus checks from 600 to 2,000, or if we're going to spend any additional money related to COVID stimulus or other legislation, we have to come up with a way to pay for that in the short term. And the way the government pays for those sorts of things is to sell more bonds, more treasuries. That increases the amount of supply, obviously. And from there, it's supply demand 101. The higher the supply, the lower the price. And when we're talking about bonds, lower prices mean higher rates, all other things being equal. Of course, treasuries are not the same as mortgage rates, but any abrupt weakness in the treasury market tends to translate to the world of mortgage rates. As a quick side note, that wasn't necessarily the case on several occasions in 2020, but there were some very big, very temporary reasons that mortgage rates had a lot of insulation against treasury volatility. Wide lender margins are a part of that, as is an ongoing streak of MBS outperformance, which has now probably run most of its course. That means that as lender margins have compressed a little bit, and as MBS outperformance has become less likely, mortgage rates, therefore, are increasingly feeling the pressure to move higher in these cases when treasury yields are spiking relatively abruptly. And that was certainly the case last week. If nothing else, the break above the 0.96 technical ceiling in 10-year yields was significant. Markets knew this, of course, and that was always sort of the unspoken staging area for the Georgia Senate election. Yields had backed up almost perfectly to 0.96 on the night of the election and then immediately broke after that. We had been talking on this podcast and as well as MBS Live about the probability that uh, a Democratic sweep of the Senate election would result in 10-year yields moving up and over 1%. That's what happened, and it was sort of a slow-motion train wreck for the rest of the week. The stuff that went down with the storming of the Capitol really didn't have any impact on the bond market. There was a little brief corrective rally, the kind that you would expect when something potentially risky is happening out and about in the world, but it was short-lived and didn't have any lasting impact on bonds. This was really all about trading the new political realities, as well as ongoing new year asset allocation trading related to the stock market. And there's quite a bit of corporate bond issuance, which can also put upward pressure on treasury yields, all other things being equal. All told, from the moment the Senate results were relatively well-known, bonds were in selling mode, and they didn't really stop for the rest of the week. Ten-year yields ultimately hit levels nearly as high as 1.13%. All this after hoping to stay under 0.96% heading into the week. MBS, for their part, didn't have a great week either. UMBS 1.5 coupons matched the same lows seen in early November. UMBS 2.0 coupons didn't quite get that low, but they moved from almost 104 to 103 in the space of just four days. To lose a point in four days is a pretty big deal in this market. It may not have been as big of a deal in March when things were super volatile or in years past. But in this market, when things have been very, very calm and MBS have been outperforming so nicely, a one-point drop is significant. It was definitely reflected on rate sheets. Everything's relative there, of course, because you know the average conventional 30-year fixed rate is still under 3%, but we're definitely an eighth to a quarter of a percent higher over those few days, depending on the lender. In terms of economic data, the week's headliner was the jobs report on Friday. And that was a little bit of a deceptive report because it came out 
out much weaker than expected at the headline level, but some of the internal components were a little bit friendlier. Specifically, the unemployment rate held steady at 6.7%, and the number of people who indicated they had permanently lost their job declined by 348,000 people. Number of people that have been jobless for 15 to 26 weeks declined by more than 300,000, and 4.6 million people said they didn't look for work due to the pandemic in this most recent survey versus 3.9 million last time. That would indicate that the increased COVID case counts and lockdowns are having an outsized impact on job counts. And the headline that was quite you know negative maybe wasn't as negative as it initially seemed. One other really interesting piece there, good topic of conversation at your cocktail party when you're talking about the differences between payroll counts and unemployment rate, because everybody does that, right, is the line item about multiple job holders. So if you have more than one job, the Bureau of Labor Statistics will count you twice as a quote-unquote payroll. Your company will report that you're on payroll and your other company will report the same. So you will be adding two to the NFP number as opposed to most workers who are just adding one. But when you receive your phone call for the population survey, the one that determines unemployment rate and things like that, you are only counted as one person. So if you tell them you're employed, you count as one employed person. So in this instance of the jobs report, the multiple job holders dropped by 224,000. So that's 224,000 fewer payrolls. NFP would be lower by that much with absolutely zero implication for the unemployment rate. In other words, they went from two jobs to one job. That took a bite out of payrolls, but unemployment rate stayed the same. In the week ahead, there is a fair amount of economic data. It doesn't really ramp up until Wednesday. Treasury auctions are happening early. That may have had a little bit of a negative impact on bonds last week. Sometimes we see treasuries get extra defensive heading into an auction week. Wednesday's economic data is when everything begins. Core CPI at 8.30 on Wednesday morning, expected to come in at 1.6 versus 1.6 last time. That's a number that the Fed would like to see at 2.5 before they're thinking about hiking rates. So by their own admission, and according to the data, they're a long way off. Then on Thursday, we have jobless claims with us as always, and import-export prices, not a market mover. Finally, Friday, the week's headliner economic data, retail sales at 8.30 a.m., expected to come in totally flat versus a slight decline last time. That same morning, we'll get core producer prices. That's just wholesale-level inflation, not uh, barn burner. Industrial production at 9.15, expected unchanged at 0.4, and consumer Consumer sentiment expected roughly unchanged at 80.0. All in all, we'll be looking for bonds to try to find a ceiling now, and we always have to wait for them to let us know where that's going to be. But the higher yields go, the closer and closer we're getting to a point where bond traders are going to say, hey, it looks like those yields are high enough. It looks like enough selling has been done that it is time to buy bonds again and try to capitalize on a little bit of a bounce in momentum heading back in a friendly direction. At that point, it could be just a token correction for technical reasons, or it could be redefinition of a new range ceiling that lasts for a while. That will depend on the economy, on COVID, on the vaccine rollout, on the legislation passed by the new administration, and a host of other things that are constantly playing into the day-to-day bond market volatility. Long story short, it was a bad week for rates, we had a technical breakout, and now we'll be looking very intently for our next support level. You are more than welcome and encouraged to join us in that process on MBA 
mortgagepodcastpodcastlive.net, where we follow markets and discuss market reactions and the mortgage industry in real time all day, every day. And as always, Licking on Lending listeners get double the free time, no credit card requirement by using the code LOL when signing up for the free trial on mbslive.net. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it again. As Matt said, be sure to sign up for mbslive.net. Alice Alvey, good to have you with us. Alice is CMB Vice President of Education and Training at Union Home Mortgage, and she's got this week's legislative update. Alice, what do you have for us? Thanks, Dave. Hi, everyone. Well, you know, we've spent a lot of time over all of these years building automation to make our lives easier. And now as we've watched the appraisal process in particular become really automated, right? Most of us are using loan collateral advisor and collateral underwriter, and we see the dynamics and the depth of the information that Fannie and Freddie have to essentially just tell us what they think the appraised value will be. So the next step in their progression with their data has now come to light in a request for input. So this is an RFI issued by the Federal Housing Finance Agency, and we have until February 26th to comment. So the overall RFI is about modernizing the appraisal process and the fact that Fannie and Freddie's regulator, FIFA, wants to get comment about appraiser modernization, the uniform appraisal data set, AVMs, and valuation differences by borrower and neighborhood ethnic makeup. At the end of the day, it starts to look like this 22-page document is their request to say, we have data, we can help with providing like a hybrid appraisal with all the fluctuations in the appraisal market. So a lot of us, as we've had this big increase in volume, have struggled a lot with certain areas in particular with trying to get appraisals, if not even across the board, because the licensing of appraisers has stayed stagnant. So take a look at this RFI. Figure one is really telling, and it shows just the roller coaster of mortgage volume over the last seven or so years, but the number of appraisers who are licensed stays the same. So if I'm appraiser, I'm looking at this as a career map. I'm going, oh, I don't think I like all those drops where they hardly need me, but it sure looks good in those great high days. If I'm a lender, I'm looking at this going, this is crazy that I have to deal with that I can't get enough appraisals. It's a big holdup in my loan process. We could be so much faster. So there's lots of different viewpoints and stakeholders who are going to be responding to this when you start to read between the lines and see that Fannie and Freddie have the data. So should we open up that a non-licensed person could go do an inspection, cover some basics, you know, eyes on the property, making sure the house isn't falling down and it looks like it does in the pictures that Fannie and Freddie have from their last data set. And with the data that the agencies have, have, have confidence in the appraised value. So when I look at this, that's the thing that jumps out at me in this proposal, which means as an industry, we have to respond. Lenders have to respond. We need the efficiency, but at the same time, we have to recognize the risks of who's going to be that person who goes out and does the inspection. And there's reference in here to it being a third-party inspection service. In my mind, I go, okay, great, another vendor service, right? (laughs) I have to pay somebody else. Maybe it's a lower fee. Maybe they can get out there faster, but it sure doesn't look like they're going to let loan officers and people within my company go ahead and go out and do these inspections with the data. So there's a lot to digest here from many different angles. And you know that the appraisers are going to say, wait a minute, a licensed individual should go out there and know what they're looking 
that. At the same time, we've got to deal with, okay, what if we do come up with a hybrid appraisal? Are the states going to be okay with that? How do we get around all the regulation that governs appraisals if Fannie and Freddie are allowed to move forward with some kind of hybrid report? So there's a lot at stake here, a lot to comment on. I encourage everyone who's interested in this key component of our business process, right? The collateral is a huge part of what we do, making it easier, but keeping our risks under control is the balancing act that's going to be discussed through this RFI. So this is a very early stage. You don't have to worry about anything becoming law. It's super soon because an RFI has to then get researched, all the comments looked at, and then it becomes a request for proposal. And very often there can be years in between there. But this is step one. Like we said with the Truth in Lending Act, speak loud and speak early. Don't wait until things become an RFP before you try and get your voices heard. So please get out there, take a look at this. Actually, you can just Google FHFA RFI appraisal and it should come up as your first hit unless you're not in the mortgage business. (laughs) So for me, all that mortgage stuff comes up first in my Google searches. Anyway, would love to make sure that the industry gets some great participation in this because there's going to be a lot of voices with so many stakeholders coming at it from a different angle. That's my report for today. Back to you. Thanks, Alice. Appreciate that report so much. Again, you want to get all of Alice's previous segments, go to our website, go to Alice's section, and you can listen to all of her reports. Be sure to check it out. Alan Pollock is here with this week's tech update. Alan, what you got for us? Hey, David. Happy Monday. As you always say, TGIM. Thank God it's Monday. Excited to be here. Thank you, everyone, for listening to us, especially this technology segment each week. What a week ahead. In the non-mortgage news, I've got two great things to talk about. The first one is, we all know the social media platform, Parler. Well, they've been booted from Google Play, the App Store, and now even lost AWS hosting. Many argue that the freedom of speech is under attack, and others wonder if there's too many deep pockets and leverage from political giants. We'll see it all unfold this week, at least start to. It's not going to be over that fast. It's definitely, definitely not affecting mortgage tech. But the second non-mortgage story I want to talk about, David, is there's a union being started at Google. And what's kind of interesting is they don't yet have a majority, but there's a technology programmer that has started this union with others. And their hope is to have one word. They want to have a voice. They want to help people become part of a democratic process, pay dues, look at change, invoke change. They want the freedom to decline work that doesn't align with their values. And they want all their employees to have the same benefits. So very interesting to see how this continues to unfold. It was a big story last week. It will continue to be a big story. Now let's get into the mortgage side of the news. As a reminder, again, don't forget the new Erla is very important, should be on everyone's top radar. MISMO version 3.4 submission to the GSEs. It did start on January 1st and it will be mandatory March 1st. We're two weeks into the month of January. That leaves not too much more time. Make sure that your vendors are testing. Make sure if you have your own code and you've been doing the Erla that you've done so. And like I mentioned last week, make sure that if you're reporting on data, you don't retire old data fields because that includes old applications, but you actually also start reporting on new data fields. A couple cool things going on in the news. Uh, This one's kind of interesting. We haven't really heard much from QuestSoft lately. We know that they are a provider of compliance software. They've got a lot of great tools that that they provide. A lot of banks, credit unions, and lenders use them. Well, a company called N-Contracts, they're also a provider of, they call it integrated risk management solutions. On the financial services side of the world, a lot less on the mortgage side, they've just acquired them. And this acquisition will now give them that bridge from lending into mortgage. And we know how complex mortgage is. There's a lot of fintech companies that don't do the mortgage side of the transaction. This now helps them acquire more business and provide more value 
value to all 1,500 of their clients. So if you're a mortgage tech company and you can try to bridge into that side of the world, the fintech side, definitely want to take a look at end contracts. But if you're a financial services company or if you're a lender, take a look at end contracts. They may be able to solve everything for you. We all know Arrive, the Arrive platform. Well, LendWise has officially acquired the Arrive platform. It's been many months after they've taken over management of the platform and they just finalized a deal to take over complete ownership. If you remember in early 2020, they integrated Arrive's platform into their own tech stack, bringing different integrations and different tools. And now they've fully taken over. And LendWise, for those of you that don't know, they're mostly funded by wholesale lenders themselves, included UWM, HomePoint, PRMG, Flagstar Caliber, and some others. Moving on into the news, David, a couple more interesting points. Uh, Blend now has LPA from Freddie integrated into their system. Simple Nexus just got their Series B, $108 million. That's a total of $128 million that they've raised. They're going to be focusing on e-closing, which is obviously one of the big areas for consumers. And really for loan officers, uh, their mobile mortgage market segments is really, really important. They're continuing to enable uh, loan officers to have that mobile experience. Borrowers as well. We all know Total Expert. But uh, for those of you that don't frequently listen to our podcast, now you know. Well, they've just announced the launch of Total Expert for wholesale. And this platform will empower everybody to have more market share in that different channel. One quick reminder I really wanted to bring up is vendor due diligence. You know, it's the beginning of the year. It's time to make sure that we are verifying that we're following up with our vendors. We're performing those due diligence activities. If you have any questions on what that means, there's lots of resources online. Fannie Mae even has resources, but you also can reach out to David Licken or myself. You know how to get a hold of us and we can help you along. And then in addition, I really wanted to bring up today, you know, team structure. We talked about this a little bit at the end of 2020. It's so important that if you're developing your own software, you need to look at how do you break your teams up? How do you efficiently build code and deploy code? And there's different types of setups. I build what's called a triad and you should try it. It's a software developer, a QA engineer, and a technology manager. That technology manager, their job is to make sure that that software developer and that QA engineer have everything they need to understand the requirements, to execute, build what they need to do, test it, and deliver it. Now, of course, you have business analysis people, you have QA, I'd rather BA people, you have other folks part of the process. But this triad is how the code gets developed and gets delivered. And then for next week, what we're going to talk about is a word that not everybody totally understands. It's called DevOps. And how does DevOps play a role with the different technology, one that our vendors are offering us? It's very important because we need to make sure that their DevOps is intact and we've done the due diligence to make sure systems won't go down. And if you're building your own code, you're going to need your own DevOps team and the different ways to manage, report, and support DevOps. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Can't wait to hear today's hot topic, and we'll talk to you next week. Don't forget, if you have hot news and you want to share that with us, you can reach me, Alan, A-L-L-E-N, at TMS-advisors.com. Thanks, David. Thanks, Alan. Really appreciate this week's tech update. Always interesting. Well, folks, that ends this week's weekly mortgage update. As we wrap up today's podcast, again, I want to say a special thank you to our sponsors, Finastra, the Community Mortgage Lenders of America, also Indicom, as well as Incelerate, Mobility RE, and Modex. We're also grateful for all our regulars who are joining us each and every week on the podcast. And most of all, we're grateful for you, our listeners. Thanks for being with us this week. Look forward to having you back here next week. You've been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin' of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week, and thanks for listening. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.